Exposed, the podcast where I expose myself and I encourage others to do the same. Uh, my name's Ginny, and today we're going to talk about asking for help and opening up. So it was two weeks after my 17th birthday when my mom died, which was obviously one of the worst things that has ever happened uh, to me. The problem was that I did not have any other family, really. Um, I have a couple half-siblings, but of course they never really lived with me. We weren't very close. And the only other family member that I had was my father. And he was a alcoholic, drug-abusing, narcissist, all-around not a functional human being. And my mother was really my only family. She was the only one that was there to take care of me or do anything. And so when she died... I was lost. I did not know what I was going to do or how I was going to function. I did not have a support system in place. I didn't have people to reach out to, nor did I know really what to do. I was a kid. So right after she had died, um, unfortunately, she had had a will written, but she hadn't signed it and finished it. So while she was supposed to be leaving everything to me because I was her only child, um, instead my dad got a hold of all of that money and did a lot of really shitty things with it. And I think maybe that the whole thing is a story for another time. But basically, um, I had to move out on my own at 17. Um, I was being homeschooled, which I had to put on hold and just get out of the house that I was living in. I had to leave my childhood home. And so immediately my, my father started to just do any number of terrible things with money, with my pets, with everything. And, and I had to leave. I had to escape. So I moved out on my own at 17. I was already working at the time, but, um, I got a second job and just had to be on my own. So this wasn't really a time where, you know, you could go online and just look up things and find other people going through the same things as you. There wasn't, you know, there was no YouTube. There was no any of that. And I didn't have any family who were smart enough to tell me, you know, hey, you need to be in therapy and you need people around you and you need help. I didn't have that. And my immediate reaction was, I have to suck it up. I have to take care of myself. There's no one here who's going to take care of me. And 17-year-olds aren't thinking of their mental health. And they're not thinking, hey, maybe I need some therapy. Hey, maybe I need to deal with what's happening to me. When I was younger, when I was around 13, um, I started going to therapy. And I was put on different medications that didn't really work for me. But once my mom died, that all went away. All of my structure, all of the, you know, parenting that I was to have was gone. So I didn't know what to do, and all I thought was, okay, survival mode, I just have to take care of myself. There wasn't really anyone to talk to about these things. I, I didn't have a lot of friends, and it was just, it was terrible. And I just think about how different my life could be even now if back then I had had access to things like other people to talk to and, you know, people to gain perspective from and realize, you know, hey, like you're sick and you need help. <laughs> you know, if something bad happens to you, you should probably go to a doctor and get it checked out. You don't really know this when you're younger and you don't know how to deal with things. And like, I, I just can't even imagine what my life would be like if I had 
reached out for help from someone. And I just didn't. I just kept pushing on and pushing on. And it took me until much later in life to realize that you have to open up to people. And you have to, you know, invite people into your life. And that you have to share with people. You know, I'm not in school anymore. I haven't been for a very, very long time. But I don't think that there's anything, you know, in elementary schools or middle schools that are teaching kids about mental health issues and having teachers and nurses trained in this stuff. Even before my mother died, when I was in junior high, um, I had, you know, tons of issues and I, I was, I was plagued with a lot of anxiety and depression. And I would had trouble even just going to school. I, d I just didn't want to go. I didn't want to leave the house. I wanted to stay home and never ever do anything. And my mother would get me in the car. And she would drive me to school and she was, you know, late for her job at her school by this point. And she would drive me to school and I wouldn't get out of the car. And I would sit there and I would cry and I would, I just didn't want to get out of that car. I just was terrified of, for whatever reason, for whatever anxiety that was happening. I just, I didn't want to be where I was. And I often felt very trapped when I was in school. I did not like being there. And I remember having a guidance counselor who would, he would come out to the car and kind of coax me out of the car and be like, it's okay. You know, why don't you just go come and sit in my office for a little bit, you know, and then you can go to class. And and I remember that, but I don't remember anything past that. I was seeing a doctor and we were going to therapy when I was younger. And I, and I think at the time I was seeing a psychiatrist because they were trying to get me on different medications. But very rarely was I actually talking about what was going on in school and why these things were happening. And the only thing the doctors were doing were just like, oh, here, try this drug. Oh, here, try this drug. There wasn't really much therapy going on. You know, I, and I remember going to the nurse's office a lot of the times and being, telling them I felt physically ill just so I could go and sit and be away from people because I was so just freaked out and stressed out and filled with what I now know is anxiety. Um, I didn't know I had anxiety at the time and I just wish that I had known what I know now, even just a fraction of what I know now about anxiety and depression and mental health and all of these things. And I wish that I had talked to more people and that I had opened up and, you know, throughout my life asked for help or just sought out help in some way. But you get very scared and you don't want to talk to people. And, and when you're younger, that shit is scary. When you're younger, Yes, everything feels dramatic, but it's also, you don't know. When you're a kid, you don't know things. You don't know how the world works. All you know is what's going on in your brain, and you're filled with hormones and emotions and all these things, and you need the adults in your life to step up for you. You know, you can take responsibility as far as you know, but you need adults <laughs> to be like, hey... This is what's happening with you, and here's the help you need. So that's kind of what we're talking about today, is just having problems, especially when you're younger, and learning how to reach out to people in a healthy way. So today we're here talking with Matthew Gatos. Uh, he's the director and editor of three YouTube channels, Sexplanations, Animal Wonders, and The Financial Diet. And he was gracious enough to come on and talk to us about um, a time that he overdosed when he was younger and how that affected him. So I think I was 15, maybe 16. I don't remember if I was driving at 
this point. I think some of my friends were driving, and I don't think I had a car yet. So I was probably like 15 or 16. And uh, in high school, I was kind of this fake punk rock kid um, in that I had the mohawk, I had the safety pins, I had the Chuck Taylors on my feet and the piercings in my face, but I didn't really understand why, like, Sid Vicious I saw as, like, a hero of mine when I was a kid. And then I realized later in life that he died at, like, age 21 from a heroin overdose. So maybe not one of the best heroes to have as a teenager. Um, and I, it's interesting because I've never really been a person who I would say has suffered from depression or anxiety. Um, and I've never gone to therapy actually. I've never been diagnosed. So I don't actually know that I don't suffer from that thing, like those, those things, but I have plenty of friends who I've seen, uh, suffer from depression and anxiety and all types of other things. And I compare my experience to their experience and I don't think I have what they have. So I don't technically usually classify myself and myself as a depressed, anxious person. Um, but in high school, I, I let things get to me and I'm very internal when it comes to dealing with things. I don't, get angry. I don't get mad at other people. I don't lash out. I never had fights with my parents. I would never fight with girlfriends. That was not a thing I did. I let it more tear me up inside than let it go external. Um, so I kind of got into that mindset one time of I was going through a breakup and you get into that mindset of no one is going to like me again and my friends have all abandoned me, which is not true, um, it turns out, in most cases. And it was just a night where I I wanted something to happen to me because I felt like everything that was happening to me was out of my control and I couldn't change anything in my life. And so I knew the one thing that I could change was my own biological chemistry. And the one way I needed to do, I was able to do that because for some reason, like in high school, I was never a kid who drank or did drugs or anything like that. I was on the straight and narrow. I never even tried to go get drunk at a party. I was just not in my interest. Um, but what I did have at home was just uh, lots of, you know, typical medicine, extra strength, uh, Tylenol and ibuprofen and all that kind of stuff. And so one night I wanted something to happen, like I said. And so I went, uh, and took a bottle of like, uh, 500 milligram extra strength Tylenol or whatever. And I just poured like a handful of them into my hand, uh, and da downed them probably with some Mountain Dew because that's what you drink as a teenager. Um, I did the same thing. Jolt Cola and Mountain Dew. Yeah, that's what you you live on. Uh, but I took them, and immediately it was a regret. Which, like I said, it wasn't like a suicide attempt. I, did, I wasn't taking them to try and kill myself. I was taking them so that something would happen, even though I knew that that was a possibility that taking too much medication leads to death in certain times. And uh, so I took them, 
And, I mean, they're extra strength Tylenol, so immediately nothing really happened to me. Um, I just sat there kind of thinking, what do I do? Not really freaking out until it got to be, like, time to go to bed, essentially. And I got scared to go to bed. Because my thought process was, was like, oh, I'm not going to wake up. Like, that was my one and only thought. Was, okay, I just took all of these things. I don't know anything about how this will affect my body. So I should just uh, not go to sleep. And I ended up staying up, I think, most of the night. I maybe slept a half hour. I stayed up by messaging friends on uh, AOL Instant Messenger and telling two of my friends what I had done. And I think, one, I clearly should have talked to them beforehand. Uh, And two, it was still very nice to have them to talk to as I was going through this. Uh, Because they talked me through it, they were telling me I should try and make myself throw up, and I tried that, and it just didn't work. I couldn't do it, so that made me freak out more because that was their only advice. And this was kind of, I mean, not early days of the internet, but days like early enough in the internet where you couldn't necessarily Google everything, or you probably could, and I just didn't know about it. So I wasn't like on the internet Googling like what to do when you overdose. And so I slept for maybe a half hour, And I went to school the next day feeling the sickest I have ever felt and ended up, I think, in the middle of, like, second period, I was in art class. Everyone, I just would tell them I was tired when they asked me what was wrong because I looked like absolute, like, garbage. (laughs) And so I told them, I was like, oh, I need to go to the bathroom. I'm not feeling well. And I went to the bathroom, and I just kind of sat in the corner of the bathroom trying to make myself throw up again, and I couldn't do it. And I just sat there in the corner of the bathroom feeling terrible, not knowing what's going to happen to me. And someone came in, actually from my class that I was just in. Uh, I think they were coming to check on me or whatever. And when they found me like sitting in the corner, they were like, oh, we need to go to the office. And so we went down to the, like, the office at the high school. They called my mom. My mom uh, saw I was sick, and so we went to the emergency room. And that's, I don't remember if it was on the way there once we got there, but that's when I, like, told her and the doctors and everything what I had done. And I kind of explained it away uh, by saying I was having really bad headaches, and I just couldn't take the headaches anymore, so I tried to, I basically overreacted and just took as many of these extra strength Tylenol as I could to try and feel better. Um, And that's what I told them, and that's what they seemed to believe, which was surprising to me. (laughs) Um, I kind of assumed that I was going to end up uh, in, like, the psych ward because that's what I had heard happens to people who attempt things like that, is that they end up having to spend, like, a week in the psych ward. And so I was kind of mentally preparing myself for that, and then mentally preparing myself to have to, like, go back to school and everyone knowing what happened to me. Um, but somehow my lie worked. Um, it was very interesting, and I don't... I've never discussed it with 
my mom or anything, so I don't know necessarily what she believes, if she thought I was actually trying to, to kill myself, or if she believed the headache story. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was very interesting to be in the hospital and the doctor telling me that, like, yeah, uh, you did take a scary amount of medication. Bad things could have happened to you. We're going to pump you full of some meds and stuff to make sure it doesn't, but... Basically, it was like, if you have a bad headache again, don't do this. Um, and I don't know if that's a failing of the medical system. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask, you know, it seems like that would just be one of those checkboxes. Like, okay, well, you overdosed on medication, yeah. so we should probably just have a, you know, therapist or psychiatrist or someone just come in and check. The, right. And, like, as I've gotten older, I look back and I'm like, that's totally what they should have done. They should have, like, at least asked me a few questions to try and look for the signs of, oh, this kid overdosed on purpose, not because he had a bad headache. Um, but they really, they just asked me about the headache, and they, I think they, the doctor, not, like, a special, like, psychiatrist or anything, like, just my medical doctor, like, asked me repeatedly, like, a couple times if I was sure I took them for the headache. And I just said yes every time, and that was it. Like, yeah, and it, it just sounds like such a failing of like the medical system in general to, you know, okay, I'm going to the doctor, I have this problem, clearly I mentally did something wrong, and you should probably check this out. It's like going into the doctor and being like, I broke my foot, and they don't even ask you how you did it, and you can't treat something if you don't know how it happened. Yeah, it's, like, to me, it's so clear that if I heard about, a, a like, a teenager, like, I have nieces and nephews who are teenagers, and if I heard, oh, yeah, they took a bunch of pills because they had a bad headache and they're in the hospital, I wouldn't believe that for a second. <laughs> like, I would immediately assume that there was more to that story. Um, and, like, I don't know, because I only told, I think, a couple friends back then in high school, I don't honestly know how many of them even knew while I was in the hospital. They may have just thought, oh, he was really sick. Um, and I didn't really talk about it much because I was somewhat embarrassed, I guess, because I was able to recognize that it was a poor choice, like I said, immediately. Um... I never, like, especially it was put into, uh, like, I had a good uh, comparison model because they, the room they put me in was, I was on the pediatric ward, like, I was in the pediatric ward, so, like, the room they put me in at the hospital, because I had to stay there for a few days, had, like, cartoon giraffes and lions on the wall. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm clearly still a child, I'm not the... <laughs> like, upset adult I've trying to convince myself I am. But then my roommate um, in that room was a guy who actually had tried to kill himself and had just gotten out of psych, and they brought back to the pediatric ward um, who had, like, drank an entire bottle of drain cleaner. Yeah, and, like, of all the ways to go. Right, because he... Basically, they said he was, like, dissolving his esophagus and had to be on a liquid diet for, like, the next three months. Some, it was kind of eye-opening to be in a room with someone like that and to hear his story and realize, like, my story. And, I don't know, like, to see someone who was actually suffering from, like, depression and that kind of thing, I think it was 
maybe my first real exposure to that. So when you say, like, you know, I just wanted something to happen, did you have, like, an idea of what that was? Did you have, like, scenarios in your head that you were like, this is what I think might happen or what I hope will happen? It's one of those things, like, in the moment, if I would have thought it through, maybe I could have convinced myself not to do it. But I just didn't think. It was, like, one of the first things that just came into my head was that. And it really was just a lack of control over my life. I won't, it wasn't like attention seeking, but it was definitely trying like to make, like I said, make something happen in my life so that I felt that my parents or my friends or ex-girlfriends and anything that, that they didn't have as much control on my life. And I'm still, I'm still a pretty bad control freak, honestly, um, but luckily it has not manifested itself in those kinds of ways again. Yeah, I used to just, like, dye my hair different colors and things like that. See, I also did those things. I think, yeah, that was just the most extreme night of that happening because I also would dye my hair bright pink and have mohawks and pierce my face and I had a tattoo when I was 16 and all that kind of stuff. Um, but apparently that wasn't enough <laughs> for me that one night. Well, I've had, you know, multiple times where I've been severely depressed and I've often had thoughts where I was like, you know, if I were like terminally ill, people would actually maybe care. Like I've been like, you know what, if I had cancer, all these people that were dismissive of me or rude to me or did something to hurt me, like they might actually question this and they might actually like give a shit. And not that I wish cancer on myself or anyone else, but just that thought process of, like, if I had an illness that people took seriously, they would pay attention. I have had those same thoughts, and I feel terrible the moment I have them, of, like, oh, did I just wish for cancer? Like, no, I didn't, but it is that thought, that thought process of, if I had that, I bet this person would show up. And I think that was probably part of it back then because I messaged like two of my best friends when I was freaking out, like told them everything immediately. And I feel like if I really had wanted it to just be a thing that I wanted to hide and was ashamed of and just was going to go to the hospital, I would have just told my mom you go to the hospital. I wouldn't have told my friends and kept them like kept them up late night talking on AIM all night about it. I feel like I would have just taking care of it. Um, but I wanted to reach out. I wanted someone to know. And it, I mean, it took me a long time, I think, to even convince myself that it was like, not just because of the headaches. Cause I like had to, I had to convince so many people around me that it was that reason that it took a little while for me to click of like, yeah, no, that is not why you were doing that. And that's the problem with human memory too, is that, you know, you can remember something, you know, from your childhood, especially, and you'll be like, oh, I have this memory, but it may or may not actually be true. It might just be what you thought of or, you know, heard from someone else. And then you're like, oh, well, that's what happened. And you can form memories. And so when you're having to tell the same story over and over and over to other people, you're kind of telling it to yourself and remembering it in a way. And it can almost just kind of affect your memory and change it. Yeah. And it's, uh, 
I have that thing with the childhood memories as well, where we have lots of home movies from when I was a kid. And I have, I feel like I have very clear memories of the time around when those home movies are from. But I don't know if I'm just taking the clues from the home movies and filling in the gaps of like, oh, I remember being in that house. But, or do I just remember the home movie of that house and have like pieced together a 3D model in my memory? So even though you say, you know, you weren't depressed in the way that, you know, like clinically depressed or anything, I mean, obviously there was still something going on um, and something that the doctors should have been addressing with you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, there have only been a few times in my life where I've looked back and thought, oh, I maybe should have gotten some help. I should have talked to someone. I should have uh, made that therapy appointment. Um, and that is one of them. Like, looking back, I obviously need to talk to someone. Um, whether or not I was suffering from actually anything, like, that could be diagnosed, I know that I needed to talk to someone. Um, and my friends, obviously, were not necessarily qualified to be the ones to, like... I message them in the middle of the night, and I'm like, hey, I just took a bunch of pills. What do I do? Like, they don't know. that <laughs> They are also 15 or 16 years old. I still have a lot of trouble with that, like talking to people or reaching out to people for help, um, whether it be with personal emotional like problems or whether it's work things or just creative projects. Like, I have a lot of trouble like letting other people into those kinds of things. I think also now that's compounded upon with social media because all we see are all these people, you know, posting only the great things that are happening in their life and no one's really talking about, you know, being sad or having issues. So it's very isolating and it makes us feel like, oh, there must be something wrong with me. And clearly, if I bring it up, like no one's going to understand. And that's very easy to feel. It's very easy to fall into the trap of like, oh, well, I haven't heard any of my friends tell me they feel this way about life, so they must not. Like, it's very easy to assume what other people are thinking and feeling when you don't talk to them about it. Yeah, like you'll see a Facebook post or an Instagram photo, people smiling and being happy and doing cool stuff, and you're like, oh, they must be fine, when clearly that's not true. Like, no one is fine all the time. Right, and that's that thing of, like, when you see, uh, so many people do this, when a friend and their boyfriend or girlfriend, like, when they break up, people are like, oh my god, you guys were so happy together, I just saw this picture on Instagram the other day of you two together and smiling, and I'm like, yeah, most people aren't gonna post their troubles, they're not gonna post an Instagram as they're screaming and yelling at each other, so going off of people's social medias to, like, paint a actual picture of them is never going to work. Or if they do, people will shun them for it a lot of times. Or, like, message them and be like, oh, well, you want to go do this or this or this? Like, they immediately feel like they need to fix them. Like, they can't just let them be sad. And I feel like that's a big issue, too, is, like, a lot of people, as soon as you try to talk to them about it, they feel like they're responsible for fixing you. Oh, definitely. It's a, a lot of people have this, like, what can I do to, like, fix you? Like, what can I do to make you stop having these feelings? I just want it to go away instead of just, you know, listening. It's funny when you say the thing about, like, uh, like talking to people and feeling like they don't feel that way. Uh, and the conversation we were having about the uh, 
the cancer or the terminal illness type thing is the other thoughts that I mean, I know I have had, and I know that other friends have had these, but when I bring them up around some people, people look at you and go, you no, no one thinks that. And that's the thoughts of when you're standing on in like a, uh, a high cliff and that thought of, I could just jump off of this. Not, I want to jump off of this, or I want to hurt myself, but literally just the thinking about, yes. Or that thought of when you're driving a car, and apologies to anyone who ever rides with me in a car, but that thought of you could just swerve into oncoming traffic, or drive off a cliff, or do this. Like, I kind of tend to imagine, like, all scenarios at all times, like, positive and extremely, extremely negative. And I feel like sometimes when I bring those things up with people, they're like, you shouldn't be thinking that. <laughs> or like when they say like moms, like new moms sometimes like will imagine throwing their baby out a window when they're crying at 3 a.m. in the morning. And people are like, oh my, you're a monster. How could you ever think of doing that to your child? But And then that makes them feel like they're a monster for thinking that. So you hear that from so many new moms that they have that thought of like, well, I could just pick my baby up and drop it, and that would solve all of my problems. Yeah, it's not that you're going to do it. You just think, yep, that would solve these problems. Exactly, and that's the, that's the important part of those equations, is the not doing them. Do you have that sometimes where you look back at something that you did as a teenager or in your 20s or anything like that, and you're not necessarily ashamed, but you have trouble putting yourself back in that mindset. Oh, absolutely. Like, there are whole parts of my life where I don't even consider it to be me. Like, yeah, it was me, and I did those things or felt that way, but I'm so separated from it now. Like, it just seems like an entire other lifetime and another person. I mean, I feel like a completely different person than I felt like five years ago. It sounds horribly condescending, and it's going to sound condescending when I say this to anyone the age I'm going to mention when they're listening to this. Uh, but I tend to find, and this is a very broad generalization, uh, that 22-year-olds tend to be the most confident, not yet matured people. <laughs> In my experience, uh, and I know I was the exact same way when I was 22, but I, when I've spoken to people around that age... They tend to think that they are currently the person they are going to be for the rest of their lives. They think they have figured it out because they are done with school, they are moving on to the adult world, and they feel like, oh, this is the point at which I'm supposed to have everything figured out, so I must be my final form. And then they start a YouTube channel, and they start giving advice to everybody, and all the 14-year-olds are like, oh my god, this super adult person totally has it all figured out. I'm going to listen to all their advice. And then the moment that person realizes that they don't have everything figured out and they post a video about that, their audience is like, wait, what? But what? how am I? What? No. <laughs> and it's one of those traps that you fall into with just, I mean, as far as the YouTube thing goes, is it's very easy for audiences to not think of the, the people they watch as people. Especially, I mean, people do this with all internet personalities, celebrities, vloggers, but especially daily vloggers. Because you are you have much more of a connection with them. You're seeing them every day. You know where they go regularly. But the problem with that is you know where they want to show you they go regularly. <laughs> you know where they're working 
when they want to show you where they're working. And people forget that you're watching five minutes of somebody's 24 hours. No, people are so quick to assume what they see on a screen is reality. Same with, you know, reality TV. Like, no, 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 guys, like, that's scripted. That's just, the minute you put a camera on somebody, they're going to act differently because there's a camera on them. Yeah, like, no one is, no one is themselves on the internet. <laughs> like, anytime you see someone with a camera, they're not really being themselves because they are thinking about what they're saying because they know they're talking to a lot of people. And I mean, a lot of people are more honest than other people, like, that's obvious, but they're still, you're still not watching them all day every day you're still not able to read their thoughts and as someone who doesn't have like a very large audience it kind of feels nice to not have too many people assuming things about me well also so many of these people are so young like teenagers and people in their very early 20s and i just cannot imagine if there had been the kind of social media that there is now when I was that age, I just, I'm terrified of what I would have been, like, saying or doing. I would have been posting, I would have been a Vine kid, I know it. I would have been right around on my hoverboard, and <laughs> Vining, and posting, like, shirtless guitar videos. That would have been the Matthew Gatos at 16 if he had YouTube. Yeah, as much as I think about, like, oh god, I would have posted all this really dumb stuff and everything, I also feel like... I would have known a lot more and just had access to more information about things and probably wouldn't have been maybe as confused as I was as a kid. A really good thing that I do see when I talk to like my nieces and nephews is that they are exposed to a lot more things. They they see they see people coming out on YouTube and they see people talking about their depression on YouTube and they see these things and it becomes more normal to them. Like, their world is just, oh yeah, these things exist. I mean, there's, what, seven-year-olds who have never known a white president. So the world, I feel like people like to toss out, like, the world's going to hell with all this technology. And I'm like, no. <laughs> technology is opening up the world to so many, like, more things. And, like, obviously that's going to bring out negative people in certain ways of trolls and YouTube commenters of negativity and things like that, but in so many other ways, it brings out so many more good things than bad things. I mean, it's the same as, okay, we invented cars, and sometimes there are car accidents and really bad things happen, but the benefits of being able to travel the way that we do now with automobiles has clearly helped us. Yeah, I mean, you, I bet you can ask probably 99% of people who are the most harassed people on the internet, and they're not going to tell you that they wish the internet wasn't invented. They still are very grateful for it. They continue to use it because they know how powerful of a medium it is. Yeah, and it's it's such a weird thing for me to just even comprehend that there are people out there, like um, someone like myself, that you know I talk about mental health stuff all the time, and the amount of harassment and bullying that I get just because I'm talking about these things... Like, I've never seen anyone go out of their way to troll or harass someone who has cancer or any sort of other physical disability or illness in that way. People don't believe it's like a sickness or like an actual medical, like, problem. People are like, get over it, <laughs> is what a lot of people say and think. And I think also they just think it's like a new made-up thing. Like, oh, this whole, like, everybody's just sick or is depressed or has this or that. Like, oh, it's made up. You know, the same way that 
a lot of older people are like, well, you know, in my day, there weren't all these gay people. And you're like, yes, there were. You just didn't hear about it. So many people use that argument of like, well, when I was a kid, there wasn't any such thing as bisexual. And it's like, yes, there was. There's so many, like, I like feel generally it's like older men in their like mid-40s or 50s who will do the generalization of like, well, I never was like, none of me, my friends were ever questioning our sexualities. We were men. We never questioned our gender and anything like that. I'm like... You weren't in a society that told you that that was okay to think about. The moment you had that thought, you thought like, oh, I am a lesser person for having that thought. Squash it down. Yeah, like, I'm sorry you don't understand your own repression, but it's there. Exactly. <laughs> That's so key to understanding that. It's like, no, you went through this. You just didn't realize you went through it because people were telling you it wasn't okay. I feel there's just, like, so much to be said for having the internet now and being connected to all these different people and being able to find other people who think like you or, you know, you can be like, oh, I have this thought, it must be crazy. And you find out, oh, I'm not alone and this is okay and there's ways to deal with it and not feeling like you're the only person on earth that has these thoughts or feelings. And it is very, very easy to fall into that too when you don't necessarily have that support group around you because, especially I know in high school, I didn't realize even on like a smaller scale i didn't realize that some people were extroverted and some people were introverted i didn't realize that some people had anxiety and some people didn't i didn't realize like learning that everyone is different from every single person was not something i was able to comprehend as a teenager well do you feel like now that you've you know gone through these things that you are at least more a little bit more aware of having to be able to open up to people and just like the value of being able to share with people what's going on with you. I think so because it's it's amazing when you start talking to like a group of friends about it and you realize like, "Oh, you think that same thing as I do? That's crazy. I didn't think, oh, that's awesome. We can connect on this even if it's like as simple as like I don't know, like the way, like it's so nice to be able to have a group of friends who you feel comfortable talking to. And some people either don't have that group of friends that they feel comfortable talking to about these things, or they don't realize that they have that group of friends around them because they haven't tried. And I feel like that is the key of, like, dip your toe in the water, or try talking about something. You don't have to dive right in, and I'm not going to walk up to somebody's face and be like, hey, so I tried to overdose when I was 16. How are you today? Um, <laughs> but it's nice to have friends that I know I could tell that story to, and they're not going to judge me. They're not going to call me crazy. They're not going to cast aside any of the problems I might have been having. Um, they might come back with one of their own stories and tell me their experiences. And that's very nice to know that I have that now. Um, because I definitely didn't feel like I had that as a teenager. And I feel like, yeah, the one thing, the only thing you can do to find out is to try and have those tough conversations. Like, they're never easy even when you have that support group like saying the words out loud are always going to be hard i also think a lot of people um you know most everyone has that fear of being rejected and they don't want to be vulnerable and open themselves up only to have the people that they really care about or like decide to treat them differently or you know whether it's in the workplace even or with your friends or you know you still want to be able to have that connection to people 
and not have them judge you just because, you know, you're sick or you just think differently than they do. And, like, as scary as that is, the alternative is worse. Like, having people in your life that don't accept you for who you are and, you know, every part of you is terrible. You don't want those people in your life. But, you know, that fear of rejection is really, really strong. And you have to learn over a long period of time that being yourself is so much more important. I have, in the past couple of years, I have really gotten a handle on, hey, I'm just going to tell you everything about me because if you don't like it, then I guess you don't like me. I had a girl on a date once tell me in a negative way, like, oh, you're just you, huh? <laughs> I was like, yes, <laughs> I am. Well, I guess she could tell that I wasn't some, like, I wasn't pretending on the date or I wasn't putting forward a face that I, of what I thought people would want to see. I was just talking about what I was feeling or the nerdy things I was excited about or the fact that I drive a PT Cruiser or these kinds of things that most people will have judgments of. <laughs> and I just am like, oh, well, I'm putting everything out there on the table so that you can form your honest opinion of me and decide if we want to go out again. Absolutely. There is no benefit to pretending to be something that you aren't because in the long run, you're just going to be miserable. My friend has this idea of get the quick rejection. Like you should both go into a situation thinking, okay, I'm going to be me. I hope they're being them. And if they don't like it, good. Like, sure, maybe you were looking forward to that date. Maybe you thought it was going to go great. The online Tinder conversations went awesome. Then you meet them in person, and maybe they're the most boring person you've ever met. Yeah, I'd much rather have, like, one crappy date than ten before I decide to be like, you know what? Uh, pass. Goodbye. I am out of here. I think that's a lovely note to end this on. So thank you so much for coming on and talking about all your stories and everything because obviously that's what this whole thing is about, is about sharing stuff with other people so we all just don't feel quite as alone as we think we are. Yeah, thank you for having me on. So if you want to, you can go over and follow Matthew on Twitter, which is just at Matthew Gatos. And his YouTube channel is youtube.com slash Matt and Maddie. So we have a shout out from Patreon to Veronica. Thank you so much, Veronica. Um, if you want to support this podcast, um, get episodes a day early, get a shout out, get an ad on here. Um, you can just go to patreon.com slash Jenny McQueen. Even $1 a month in support is super helpful. And thank you so much to all my patrons that are there already. I love you guys. And if you can head over to iTunes and, uh, rate us, give us a review, um, go listen over there. Any traffic over there really, really helps us, especially since we're in just like the first month of this podcast. So thank you guys so much. And you can always go on Twitter, um, at Exposed Podcast or use the hashtag Exposed Podcast. And I'm happy to talk with you guys, um, take suggestions, whatever you guys want. And remember, sharing is caring. Bye.